Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome to the Growth Experience Podcast. I am your host, Chris Dye. Our hope is that by listening to this podcast, you realize that you have a gift. And by believing in your gift, you can uncover your purpose and have vision for your life. Whether you're listening in your car, at home, or watching on YouTube, thank you for tuning in, and let's go. Hey, hey, so super excited to be here today. Episode one of the Growth Experience Podcast. I just want to take a moment and have an attitude of gratitude uh, for all the people who've been, this is two years in the making almost. Uh, So shout out to Mike Bother with Bother Visuals. I appreciate you, man. I know you did a lot of work on the front end of this thing. Uh, Pastor Dave Heigl is running the camera and the audio for us uh, with the River Church. And then I also want to thank High Adventure Ministries. Uh, They are hosting us. And so very, very appreciative and thankful for the opportunity to be here and just to to start this podcast, Uh, something that's been on my heart for a long time. And, uh, you know, there's been reasons why that I haven't been able to do it. And and I'll get into some of those as we get further into the episodes, maybe, but uh, won't unpack all of that today. But just really thankful to get this thing started. Um, so our first guest, I'll go ahead and read her bio. Jennifer Beagle, originally from Gainesville, Florida, now lives in Kentucky. Jennifer has been the founder of three nonprofit organizations and has mentored hundreds of men, women, and children out of destructive lifestyles. She was the founder of the House of Hope for Women in Gainesville, Florida, a 14-bed residential facility. Jennifer is now the founder and president of Her Hope Kentucky, a residential home for young adults coming out of sex trafficking, drug addiction, and the homeless aging out of foster care. Jennifer has aired on Florida's Joy FM radio multiple times, appeared on the Christian Television Network, and is in the nationally acclaimed magazine The Pentecostal Evangel, as well as Victorious Living Magazine. Having once been on North Central Florida's Most Wanted list with the reward for her capture, she has now been in Gainesville's Home Magazine voted number 7 of Gainesville's Top 25 Most Interesting People and nominated for the Gainesville Spirit Award. Jennifer has also won the prestigious and highest national FBI award in 2017, FBI Director's Community Leadership Award, which is an award given by Washington, D.C.'s FBI Director Chris Ray. Most recently, Jennifer's story of being trafficked herself was featured on CBN's The 700 Club. Jennifer has one biological son, that's me, and two adopted children from the Florida foster care system. She also has four grandchildren, which are her life. Those are mine. Jennifer uses her voice of never giving up to encourage others that they too can press through the hard circumstances of life and become who they were created to be. So, Mom, super excited to have you here. Uh, I don't, and I know you don't either believe in coincidence of any kind. Um, so, there's a reason that we're here. We're doing this. Uh, finally, I know we've you've been a part of me talking about this for a long time. You, in the meantime, have been on several podcasts. I've been on several podcasts, mostly talking about um, just the business world. That's kind of the world I've been in for the last few years. Um, you've been sharing your story to anyone and everyone who will listen. Um, and once people do hear about it, they want more. Uh, so everybody that hears about your story, um, I know that they just can't get enough. They want more of you and and. Um, ultimately, you know, what we'll talk about today is 
what they maybe not even realize is more of Jesus, who was uh, the one that impacted you so heavily. So as we get started, um, I really just want to talk about uh, the, the chapter of your story um, towards the beginning of your life. Like, just just start there, kind of dive into your um, your story from, you know, when you were a young kiddo. Absolutely. And before I dive into that, I just want to tell you, and I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> oh, this one, this one's going to be raw. It's going to be real for a lot of people who have never heard or seen me cry. I'm an ugly crier. Uh, there's, there's going to be some of that involved today, I'm sure. So yeah, let her rip. All right. Well, son, I'm so proud of you. What the enemy meant for evil against your life. God truly has turned around for his glory. Amen. And to sit here with you today, fulfilling a vision is, um, it's breathtaking. Mm. It's, um, it's so unbelievable to so many people. But if you are in Christ, this should be your top belief that you and your child will be reunited after years of trauma and drama, but also be hand in hand in the kingdom of God. And that is so important to me today. So um, diving in. Okay. Diving in to those early years, I was raised in your typical dysfunctional family. We put the funk in dysfunctional. There was nothing healthy that I remember as a child. I remember some times when we would go fishing or we would go hunting or we would go to the springs and swim, those types of things. But inside the home, I remember no good thing as a child. It was full of alcoholism, affairs, abuse, neglect, rejection, abandonment. You name the adjective, it was inside of our home. I'm the baby of seven, and I was raised with only six of those kids. My oldest sibling was adopted out, and then between my mom and my dad, there were several kids in several different relationships. So being the baby of a hodgepodge, literally, was um, um, eye-opening, I guess, now, in retrospect especially, but not necessarily then. Obviously, I was a child. Uh, I just remember um, dad being drunk all the time, mom having affairs all the time, and a lot of abuse. Anything that happened good in between that, I don't remember it. I don't know if it's blocked out of my mind or if there just really is nothing good. But I remember mom's car being run off the road and I remember guns being pulled out and I remember names being called to the point that there was such misery in home, in our home, that um, it affected the children. It affected all of us. We started acting out and um, older sibling after older sibling started leaving the home early and young to where it was just my next oldest sister, Becky and I. Mm. And we lived in the, the latter parts of that dysfunction when there was literally no hope for my parents. None whatsoever. Jesus was not an aspect of our family. We didn't know anything about God. We didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. We didn't know anything 
about any type of faith in our home. Again, just alcoholism, affairs, and abuse. Mm -hmm. So um, by the time I'm seven years, seven years old, again, I'm the youngest, uh, all of my siblings had practically left the house. And um, I had a family who just wasn't approachable. My parents weren't approachable. In that, uh, my uncle, my mom's brother, my uncle Quincy, had groomed me for um, for molestation. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that's what was going on. Back in my younger years, there were pornography magazines that were cartoons. Mm-hmm. And he would let me read these cartoons and he would say, I'm your favorite uncle. I'm your favorite uncle. You're my favorite niece. And I'd be like, yeah, he was showing me an acceptance that I didn't have in my home life. What I thought was a love that I didn't have in my home life. So long story short, I went to him at, he lived with my grandmother in Dunedin, Florida. And I went to him with a boo-boo on my leg. And I thought because he loved me, he could fix my boo-boo. And he didn't fix my boo-boo. He created a larger boo-boo on that day is the day that he molested me. I was about seven years old. And um, again, I didn't have a family that was approachable. I walk out of his bedroom that day and um, it changed everything about my life. Mm I started acting out at home. I started taking my dad's beers. I started drinking them. And they're like, oh, look at little Jenny. Isn't she so cute tipping these beers? Um, She's uh, just adorable. But it came to the point where I needed the beer at eight and nine years old. I'm already an alcoholic. Let me pause right there if if you're okay with that. of course. Um, So when you say you needed the beer or, you know, needed... um, the alcohol to kind of numb some of the situations you were going, you were seven years old, eight years old, nine years old. So, um, I guess my biggest question and you, you have told me about your story, right? I know all of these things and we have talked about, you know, my story and those chapters of when I was younger, but what we really haven't done, honestly, is sit down like this and really unpack some of this stuff. So, um, I'm not surprised by anything that you say, but I think there's going to be another, another level of transparency that we've reached today, which is really cool. Um, so when you were that, that young, do you remember like how you felt in those moments? Cause you say you needed the alcohol. So do you remember like shame and guilt from the experiences that you've had or were you just kind of trying to get through the day as the youngest of seven? Like, what did that look like? I honestly don't know if I know how I felt. Um, and I love this level of transparency with my son, with my family, because this is the level of transparency that we can take into the kingdom, into Christ, because he knows every detail about our life. And there's no shame in that. Right. So to be able to sit here with no shame, a lot of tears, <laughs> A lot of reservations sometimes, a lot of emotions, but no shame. I don't know if I know how I felt because I didn't, this was normal. Mm. This was normal for my family to be in such chaos. I didn't know what my uncle had done to me was wrong. 
if anything, I mean, I watched that type of abuse as a child, and I thought that I was the bad one. Right. Because I watched my mom get abused in that manner. So I must be the bad child because I got abused. Mm. I didn't know that this was the the one thing that I was trying to cover up with the alcohol. And I don't even know if it was the one thing. Like, I was trying to cover up my whole life. Mm-hmm. I'm a very relational person. I need lots of hugs. I need lots of touches. I need lots of conversation. And you, we just didn't have that. Sure. So when my uncle was giving that to me, I thought that this is it. Mm-hmm. This is it. But I didn't know the damage it was doing internally and spiritually so to drink the alcohol i just knew it felt good i felt different yeah i felt like i could breathe like i could cope with life so dad my dad will tell you who i love today he's my absolute heart um he'll tell you that they used to have to lock up the alcohol it got so bad Mm mm-hmm so, and my mom never really did drink. She just did it. It was my dad. But I turned into a pretty severe alcoholic. Definitely by 10 and 11, started acting out in school, started hanging with the wrong crowd, started smoking marijuana, started eating mushrooms, started snorting cocaine. This was at 11, 12. This is at 11 and 12 yeah. years old. Um, started doing LSD. That was, my goodness, I loved LSD at that time. Uh, because I could really escape mm. any of any reality. Right. Nothing about reality was good for me. Nothing. Um, mom and dad were still fighting, even though they were divorced and completely separated. We watched my mom bring man after man after man into the house, locking me and my sister um, out of the house, kicking us out at midnight and 1 a.m., saying, go down to the pool hall and play pool while she had men over. Mm. So that was my whole entire childhood. And I ended up in the system because I started fighting in school, started skipping school, started failing grades, all of these things. And then I was labeled just a delinquent teenager, a delinquent child, uh, a menace to society, instead of looking at the home life and what's going on and getting me the proper. I remember one time I got um, caught with weed on campus at school. I don't know. I was in like seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And um, now I did seventh grade twice and I did eighth grade twice, so I really don't know. But. Um, I got caught, so they, they did send me to counseling, and George DeWillaby was my counselor, and he was the only person at that time that put me in my place mm-hmm. um, in the right manner, but he was a recovering addict himself and had a, a big handle on what that looked like for me, so I have nothing but the utmost respect for him. Saw him three decades later after all of that and just cried, 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 cried when I saw him didn't realize the impact he had on my life. So speak truth to children, but speak it in love. Mm-hmm. So all the trouble that I was getting into, I ended up in the system, court after court after court. Judge Lang will never forget him either. Principal Servancy will never forget him. Oh my goodness, I'll never forget him. <laughs> but um, <laughs> how many times? We used to get spanked in school, and I got spanked at least once a week, every week for two or three years. I don't even remember but um, I ended up 
so far gone that I ended up in foster care and in foster homes. And nothing changed. My foster mom was a speed, prescription speed pill abuser because she was rather large and had a surgery and that was her prescription. Mm -hmm. Like pink hearts and black beauties used to be prescribed. (laughs) Kids today don't even know um, the level of drugs that were pushed on people then. Um, So my foster dad, uh, his name was Russell. He, um, he, we lived on a big dairy farm. And um, so I was already very promiscuous. Uh, You know, probably by the time I'm 14 years old in a foster home, I've already slept with 50 or 60 people. And because I'm still chasing what happened to me at seven, still chasing relationships, still chasing some type of identity or some type of acceptance, because there was no way to get it at home. Yeah. Or even in the community. Um, because I was labeled again a troubled delinquent child. So my foster dad knew about the farm hands, the drug use, uh, skipping school again, still foster homes did not help that. Getting taken from my mom did not stop that. In fact, it promoted it even more because what I was familiar with was now gone. Sure. So um, my foster dad, I woke up one night in the middle of the night and I felt um, a wrist around a hand around my ankle and I felt myself sliding across the floor now they used to have gamble parties and drinking and all kinds of stuff in this foster home and so people were passed out everywhere but then I woke up to realize that my foster dad had drugged me into the bathroom and was raping me wow and that's probably what took my life to the downward spiral permanently. Mm-hmm. What seemed like permanently. And this is when you were 14. 14 years old. Yeah. Part of me was like, man, this is normal. Mm-hmm. This is... And it, it seemed normal because that was your constant environment. My whole life. Yeah. My whole life. Um, was set up by the enemy, set up for sex abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, it had nothing to do um, with who I was, but that wasn't my knowledge at the time. Sure. Got raped by my foster dad. He started feeding me my foster mom's pills for sex. So he, in today's terms... That is 101 trafficking. Mm-hmm. If you are a minor and under the age of 18 and anyone gives you anything <clears throat> for sexual exchanges, right. that is trafficking. Yep. And I've learned that too, as, as we'll talk about later, mm-hmm. you know, through Her Hope Kentucky, um, that there's so much that we don't even understand. As far as like the common person, they don't know what trafficking is or what that looks like or how to identify trafficking um so yeah that's uh, that was really interesting to me as i started to kind of dive into that with you and um work towards our purpose of helping people who have been trafficked it's astronomical today 
of how common it is and how people just look at it as being normal. <clears throat> but to some degree, I do get that because this was normal for me. Sex abuse was normal. My uncle was doing it. The 50, 60 people I had been with before were doing it. My mom was doing it with other men. I watched my dad have a couple of different marriages. Like there was nothing solid um, to go by in my life at all. So 14 years old, turn 15 in the summer, go back to my mom's house, completely quit school, completely run away, start living with men um, considerably older than me, and start traveling the country, racing horses. Uh, I did that for three and a half years, back and forth from Ohio to Kentucky to Florida to <clears throat> Ohio again. And that's where I met your dad. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> that's where I met your daddy. <laughs> God love him. <laughs> Great guy. Uh, fantastic guy, in fact. Um, and this is the transparency part that is so hard for me because he was such a good dad. And he really was a good husband. He was just twice my age. Right. I was 19 and he was 38 when we met. And um, he was a truck driver. I was racing horses traveling from Ohio to Florida for the winter, rode in the back of the truck, and he said, hey, ride in the front with me. I did. Things happened. We fell in love. One month later, we were married. One month later, I was pregnant with you. <laughs> 19 years old. Hey, nothing, nothing happens on accident, you know? Nothing. No coincidences there. <laughs> but that's, that's actually true, Chris, because I searched for months to what to name you mm -hmm. because my family had this name or his family had that name and all these different names and so I just said one day Christopher which yeah. is Christ follower follower of Christ mm -hmm. and I know from your uh, inception not just the foundation of the world we know that scripturally but from the foundation of you and me and your dad you have been purposed. You've been purposed um, as a Christ follower. So, married your dad. Got pregnant with you. Here I am. Yeah. Uh, he wouldn't let me smoke weed or do drugs when I was pregnant with you. What a terrible guy. I you know. know. Jeez. Man, he was so redneck. What a joker. I mean, he drank him a Budweiser here and there. Um, <laughs> but he was a pretty good fella. And he said, uh, no more weed for you, Jen. You're pregnant with my child. I snuck around a few times. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe while you're... I had my suspicions, you know. Yeah, you're kind of cool today. I think it's because <laughs> of the weed. But <laughs> Maybe. Or maybe Jesus. I don't really know. We may never know. So. That's okay, too. <laughs> That's okay. So, yeah. I um, gave birth to you. Um, changed everything about my life. Mm. Just, you were the cutest little baby. Yeah. My goodness, you were cute. I was pretty cute. You're pretty cute still. But you are really cute. I mean, I've got some pictures I can pull up and. I mean, whatever. At this point, you know, we've already <laughs> talked about all of this. You might as well rip them right. out, you know. I can do that, and I will actually for your viewing pleasure. <laughs> so, 
Um, but I, I felt a love that I never felt before. Mm. Never experienced, never knew, um, nothing. I, it was like, I made this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is mine. And um, you were beautiful. And you changed everything about my heart. But sadly, you didn't change everything about my life. Mm-hmm. Even though that's what I would like in retrospect. But that's not what happened because the nature of addiction doesn't work like that. Right. So let's um, <clears throat> take a break right there. So you, and I meant to mention this earlier, so I'm glad that you said it. Um, as we go through these seasons of your life, this episode is titled The Foundation. And, you know, you said the foundation of the world, the foundation of, you know, my, what you felt like my, I was purposed, right? Um, the foundation from your life from the very beginning was abuse, drugs, sex, alcohol. Um, you know, you just were not, you didn't have the opportunity by all statistics, uh, to succeed. Right. So can you kind of, um, and we can go, we can move forward a little bit, but one thing I think that I know that you didn't mention is that, you know, you took the eighth grade twice, but you stopped there Yes. as far as education goes. Yes. Um, so that's something that I've always admired about you is that, you know, you're pretty, pretty intelligent, pretty smart. Say it again. Yeah. That's the only time you get it. One more um, time. You can replay it on the video. Can I have it in writing? No. Oh, it's on video. Yeah. I got this. Yeah. Yeah. We can scrub it. Anyway, <laughs> Dave, Dave can hook that up for me. Anyways. Um, so that's always kind of inspired me to, um, just kind of pursue whatever I feel like I'm supposed to, because as much as your foundation was not set correctly, you know, I've been able to watch and hear about your life. And that has, I know you said that, you know, I didn't change your life necessarily, um, but I, I hope that you know that you changed mine. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, but will you kind of speak now into, all right, I exist as quickly as, you know, you and dad got married, it unraveled and, and got divorced. Um, can you talk about this kind of next season in your life? Um, I, as soon as, so I, I gave birth to you, I nursed you, I held you and I loved you, like, it was incredible, incredible, it's, it's a feeling that nothing, nothing can ever take away from me, mm-hmm. or from anyone listening, if you've been there, like, nothing can take that feeling away from you. Maybe some of the things that happened, but the feeling is still there. So after I finished nursing you, um, I immediately started drugs again. Mm -hmm. I immediately started drinking again because as much as your dad was wanting to at 38, 39 years old now, settle down, and have a home life, 
I'm 19 turning 20 with no trauma counseling, no understanding of what happened to me actually is not normal. Right. Um, it is, um, like, I had none of that. So I started drinking more than using drugs. I started smoking weed again, um, started drinking heavily, connected with that crowd again. Um, and then I stole a girl's car at the apartments that we lived in. I don't think I heard this part. Yeah, I stole, I stole a girl's car, Renee and I, and um, we started using meth. Mm-hmm. So when you're high, you, you lose all concept of time, all concept of reality, all concept of responsibility. You just lose all concepts except I need more. Mm-hmm. So we borrowed this girl who lived in the apartments. We borrowed her car and we got high and we went and got higher and then we got higher again and we, I just couldn't return. I couldn't return. I needed dope. Um, I hadn't felt that feeling in quite a while Mm -hmm. due to being pregnant and nursing. And then, um, it took me right back to the triggers of my, um, childhood and yet covering it up from there as well. So I, um, um, got arrested and the cops came to our apartment and, um, Jerry said, uh, Look what you've done. Hmm. Look what you've done. And I heard that my whole life. He's not wrong. Mm -hmm. But the triggers that that brought was like, yeah, it's me again. Mm -hmm. Look what I've done. He said, I'm not going to let my son watch this. You were several months old, probably close to a year. And so he took you to the bedroom and he came back out and the cops put me in handcuffs, read me my rights. And, um... They did not take me to jail. I don't remember exactly the conversation, but we worked it out. Mm-hmm. And, um, man, Jerry was just so angry with me. And Jerry never got angry with me. Like, he really was a good man. He was a good husband. He was a, a good daddy. Um, I say often, I don't know why this 38-year-old man married a 19-year-old woman, girl, baby. Uh, but he was ready. I was not. So that led me on a spiral of, I'm addicted to meth now. And um, I moved out. I left your dad. And I moved out into a trailer in Gainesville. Behind, off of Tower Road. Mm-hmm. And um, like Wind Meadows or something. I don't remember. Oh, look. Uh, it's so crazy that, remember, I found that picture and I sent it to you. That's that, a different one. Oh, is that's a different the one? the one I bought. Okay. Yeah, that's a different one. I gotcha. I mean, I was trailer parking it for a hot minute. <laughs> <laughs> so we, but we were living with, I was living with um, this girl and her husband, and we were smoking meth. And I watched this girl literally just chew off her lip, literally. Wow. She chewed off her lip from this meth. And all I could think was, I want more. That's why. That's some good stuff right there. So I was just getting more and more bound in that. Um, met my second husband. Uh, can't say any names. Don't know if he's dead or alive. Um, so let's call him. What do you want to call him? I got some names, but I'm a Christ follower today. So 
I don't think we can call him what we really want to call him. No, we can't call him that. Uh, I don't know. You know. Uh, let's call him Phil. Sure, Phil okay. works. Phil works. Don't hey, any Phils out there? Don't take offense. This it's is not just, you, Phil. I don't know why that popped into her mind first, but we're gonna either. we're gonna roll with it. It was Bob, but I call everyone Bob. Yeah, so. yeah, that, that was mine too. <laughs> okay, let's call him Bob. Okay, that'll work. <clears throat> Bob, it is. Okay. Bob was a mean man. Bob was what we call um, a gaslighter, narcissistic abuse, um, alcoholic, mm-hmm. drug addict. But he was a singer in bars, really good singer. Only props I can give him. But he wooed me, and I was already so broken. I'm on meth, weed, alcohol, cheating on your daddy, leaving your daddy, living with these people. And I go into this bar, DJ Chaps, and I meet this Bob fella, and Bob said he loved me, and that's all it took. Mm-hmm. That's all it took. Within days, I'm dating Bob. Um, within months, um, still trying to go through a divorce with your daddy, living with this man. Um, he's abusing me. He's abusing you physically, much like my childhood. So, yeah, this is where, you know, I am living with you and Bob yes. and every now and then, you know, I, I know I did spend time with dad, but I don't remember the times we spent together because a lot of the trauma and abuse that I, um, experienced while we were living with Bob in the trailer. Um, so just, I wanted to just set that context for everybody. So just keep going. Yeah. When I left your dad, um, he kept you until I got my own place mm-hmm. with Bob. Okay. And when I got with Bob and we got our own place, we, um, I took you. Mm-hmm. I took you from your dad. So, um, foundation of trauma in your life, obviously. So, um, Bob was the meanest man on earth. Um, he would beat me to a pulp, put his fist right in my face. Uh, we both worked in the bar. I got a job in the bar. You stayed the night with a nanny so many nights of your life. Um, beautiful African-American lady that took real good care of you. See, I don't remember that. Oh, she was amazing. She was a good cook, too. <laughs> she could throw down, but she took good care of you. I never had any fear of any thing happening to you because she was a good nanny Mm -hmm. so um bob and i would get drunk after work in the bar not go to sleep till four or five six a.m in the morning so we wouldn't wake up till noon one two Mm o'clock the problem with that is is when i would wake up i would have to hurry up and get up and cook a hot meal like fried chicken mashed potatoes macaroni and cheese um, barbecue ribs whatever and it had to be fresh and hot for when Bob woke up. Mm-hmm. Because when Bob woke up, if that wasn't ready, I, I'm getting beat. Mm-hmm. I'm getting beat. And not only am I getting beat, you're getting beat. Mm-hmm. So we lived like that for two solid years mm-hmm. of just beat after beat after beat. Yeah. I remember one time, so kind of now, I'll start to intertwine some of the stuff that I experienced and remember um, man, and this is when I was like two, three, four years old. 
And so to to not just exp- like I, you're saying some things that I genuinely don't remember, um, but there's a lot that I do. And you know, we'll talk about you know if you're a I know I'm going to ask her some questions here in a minute, but if you're a child of abuse and you grew up in that environment, um, and you don't have to stay there and live there in your mind and in your emotions and in your soul. I think that's one of the things like us being here today and just talking about this is a testament to that. Um, so I just wanted to speak that to anybody who, who may hear this or, or, could watch this no expectations for this video whatsoever uh we're just coming in with our with our yes being obedient what we in hot that's right uh, andy minio shout out <laughs> you can be on the podcast anytime you want bro um so uh yeah so at i remember one time um we lived in a, a trailer right a, a manufactured home i sell real estate now so i call them manufactured homes um we and i remember him like busting through the bedroom door right next to the kitchen and then the living room, obviously everything was open, right? Mm -hmm. So the living room was right there. And then I remember him just wailing on you on the couch, like busted all the way from the bedroom through the kitchen to the living room, landed on the couch and was just going crazy. And at three years old, having the wherewithal to try and stop Bob from beating on you and in return getting in my own beating. Um, and there were multiple times that that happened. Um, and it's the, those experiences is, is not something you've told me. I genuinely remember those. Um, and so I know that, you know, I make this now I've been able 2022, um, was the first year that I've really come out and told my side of this chapter of my life to several people and kind of open that out. Uh, shout out to upper room. Appreciate you guys with, with Southeast Christian church. Um, they hold, they heard a lot of my testimony, uh, from those younger years, but I, I give this analogy or this part of the story of where, you know, my son now, uh, my youngest son is Matthew. He's four years old. Um, and, for his birthday, we gave him the Little Tykes T-ball set, um, you know, with the yellow plastic bat. And it, it really hits home with people when I say, I watch my son use this yellow bat to hit this ball off the tee. I remember picking it up, hitting my stepdad to try and get him to stop hurting you. Um, and those are just, I mean, that's a fraction of what, you know, that experience looked like for me. Um, so anyways, continue kind of just talking about, um, really, I want you to kind of dive in on, um, the separation or, uh, Bob and you and, um, dad and myself. And cause like I said, I don't really remember any experiences of us, he and I had spending time together. What did that look like when, you know, how did that separation happen? Ooh. Um, your dad, Jerry, he just really got tired of seeing the abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, your dad loved me well. 
he always loved me well. And um, he didn't like watching what was happening to me as once his wife. And he didn't like watch what was happening to me as the mother of his son. Mm-hmm. And he really didn't like watching what was happening to his son. Right. So in our divorce, I obviously won custody of you because I'm the mom. And they always give the kid to the mom, which was the court's biggest mistake at that time of my life. Hmm. So um, in saying that, the separation, you know, Jerry had visitation rights. He had you every other weekend, certain holidays, you know, the split family schedule. And he was faithful to that. He was faithful. Um, Bob hated Jerry. Mm -hmm. He hated that Jerry was your dad. And he would not let you call Jerry daddy. Mm -hmm. You had to call him Jerry in front of Bob. Um, And you had to call Bob dad. Hmm. Like, it was, it's narcissism at at its deepest level. It's abuse at its deepest level. So that started affecting Jerry more and more. The separation between all of that, Jerry was just a great team player. He never missed a thing, never missed a beat with you. Um, <laughs> I remember one time, and you do know this story, but yeah. he had you for the weekend and evidently you were quite the little turd <laughs> so oops he uh he came in jerry just walked in my house like didn't even this is the last trailer that we were living in behind okay. the walmart gotcha but um uh <laughs> and he threw you at me he just threw you and i caught you and he said he may look like me but Jennifer, he acts just like you. <laughs> yeah. And it's true to this day, y'all. He acts just like me. But um, so even in Jerry's frustrations, even in his hard times, he just never missed a beat with you. Mm-hmm. So Bob's sister, we'll call her Cinderella, she moved in with us and she was a crack cocaine addict. Mm-hmm. And this is where the separation started. Okay. And this is what took me into the next season. Sure. So Cinderella um, was a crack cocaine addict for years and years. And Bob knew this, Mm -hmm. but we moved her in anyway. We only lived in a two-bedroom. Like, you stayed in the room with us or with your dad quite often. So um, one day she said to me, hey, you want to try this crack rock? And I said, yeah, I don't mind. Let me ask my husband, Mm -hmm. your brother. So he, knowing what happened to her life, said, no, I don't want you to try it. He was drunk. We were high. Her and her husband, me and him, we went out um, drinking, partying, doing the things that we did. You were probably at the weekend with your dad, to be honest. And... um, Bob passed out from all the alcohol. 
And we were snorting cocaine too, but he was more of an alcoholic than anything. So he passed out. And when he passed out, she came back to me mm-hmm. and said, hey, he's not here. Do you want to try this now? I said, yeah, absolutely. So I tried the crack, fell in love instantly. Yeah. It was the drug I'd been searching for. At that point, I was 24 years old, full-blown um, substance abuse user from 10 years old. So for the last 14 years, I've been looking for this drug. Mm. I've done everything. Prescription pills, prescription, uh, opiates, speed, LSD, cocaine, mushrooms, alcohol, weed, every, laced with this, laced with that. I don't even... Valium, um, gosh, everything, everything. But crack took me there. And she knew that. She knew it. So she's like, we ran out, nowhere we can get some more. We go to the dope man. She's like, just flirt with him a little bit. Just flirt with him a little bit. um, And we can get some free dope. I'm like, I can do that. Mm -hmm. I've never been faithful to anything anyway. So I can flirt with him. So I flirt with him. Um, he gives us a bunch of dope. We leave, we smoke it. Um, she's like, we can do it again. So we do it a second time. She's like, we can do it again. I'm like, we got to do something. I, I need this now all in one day. I needed it, needed it, needed it. So the third time we went, I did not know that she and the dope man had had this planned out mm. and she sold me to him and he made me produce, um, Favors, mm-hmm. if you will, in an even more rundown trailer, no windows, broken blinds, blankets covering them, no electricity, no running water, um, cigarettes and ashtrays and filthy and beer cans. And it was just the epitome of poverty, um, disgusting um, grossness. Mm-hmm. Like just depravity. Yeah. And um, that was the first time that I know um, I was sold for drugs. Wow. By my sister-in-law. Yeah. And that took me to just... A whole other place. A whole other place. Yeah. I, I was abusing you even more because I was angry with myself. I was angry at the world. And I abused you just like my mom abused me. I remember having open lacerations on my body where she would just beat us to a pole. All my siblings can tell you this. Every single one of us. We were beat so bad that we would have rips and cuts and blood pouring out of us Mm -hmm. from the abuse and I started abusing you in that manner and I will never forget to the day I die when I I would leave you out in the truck I had a little red Ford Ranger and I would leave you out in the truck while I go inside and trick with this dope dealer to get some crack and come outside and hurry up and light it on my pipe and smoke it because I was dying without a hit dying i was dying with it and i was dying without it let's just die and you would just watch me as any child would you were three and four years old watching your mommy and i remember slapping you going 
don't effing watch me. And that got so ingrained inside of you that I came out one time and this is what pierces me to my soul to this day. I went to put it on my pipe and I went to smoke it and you said, don't worry, mommy. And you put your hand over your eyes and you turn your head away from me and you said, I won't watch. And to this day, Chris, that affects me because I will never, ever, ever forget the pain that I caused you. I know that we don't war against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers of darkness now. But that is a trauma trigger that is in my life, mm -hmm. in my life, especially when I see other kids in those situations. Um, yeah. Let me just speak into that real quick. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, during this time for me, you know, I talked about, I remember the abuse against you. Uh, there was a lot of abuse against me, um, especially, you know, from Bob. And there were times where I was three and four years old. I was making my own food. I would cook for myself. Um, you know, you would be sick and I would bring you a trash can and I'd put it under your head uh, so that you could be sick into the trash can and not on the floor because uh, you weren't able to get out of bed. And, you know, I talk, as I've been able to reflect on this, especially over the last year, um, one of the things that I've told you before, like I came to your house the night before we were going to Disney World, and we've, obviously our relationship has been um, rekindled for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, October of 2021, we were about to go to Disney World with our family and Kelsey and the kids. And um, I just felt it so deeply on my heart to come to your house and say audibly, which I'd never said before, hey, I forgive you. Right. And so one of the things that as I've been able to reflect on this part of my life, um, and I don't know if it's kind of just like what you said before, like you don't remember any good from your life, early childhood. Right. Um and I don't know if it's, I mean, it, it has to be God. I'm going to choose that it's God. Um, I don't ever remember, and, you know, maybe if I sat in that place for a long time and allowed myself to try and get there, like maybe, but <clears throat> for the most part, um, the negative physical reactions that I can recollect were all from from Bob. And so there's just not um, speaking again, kind of to the to the moms, and you can speak to the moms um, that hey, I know that that affects you and it is a trigger trauma trigger for you. I don't remember, um, so I'm I'm gonna let you off the hook for that because. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. Um, you know, there's scripture that can go with that. <laughs> yeah. For all of you wondering, yeah, yeah, uh, there's a scripture that says that God remembers no more. Um, and what a what a good God to protect you from those memories. Right. What a good God to protect you. Yep, absolutely. You know, you touched on something, and I want to expand because I felt strongly that there really are people that are going to hear this podcast, see this video. Um, hear our voices, hear our story, and still not understand that they can have 
this relationship under the banner of Jesus Christ because they too have been so drunk, so high, so out of it, so disconnected with any type of real life that their own child at three and four years old took a garbage can from the bathroom, put it under their mother, under you as their mother, so you could vomit because you were so hungover and so high and so out of it. And you would get cold washcloths and put them on my forehead because I would just be so sick. But how nurturing you were. That's it's kids, man. Oh, Especially as I bro, see it in yes. my in my own kids, like you don't want to talk about the most tender hearted. And we like even as a parent, you know, there are times where I screw that up. Yeah. You know, I'm not doing what we you know, I experienced. Uh, but there are there are times where I'm like, man, I just took that a little bit too far. Um, because yeah. and you know, that relates to all parents, I'm sure. Um because they did not deserve, you know, what I subjected them to in terms of discipline or whatever that is. Um, and so just tender-hearted children, man. Yeah. And I think that's where Jesus says, you know, yep. the little children. Yep, I was getting there. Okay, they come to me. Yep. They're innocent. Yep. There's an innocence about them. They're before they're plagued with culture, society, ideologies, all these different things, they're created perfect in the image of a perfect God. Yep. And sadly, we as adults have been plagued with all these things, conditioned <clears throat> with all these things, and we can take it too far. But thank God for our good, good Father. Yeah. And we project that, right? And that's part of your environment. And that's why I talked about that at the beginning. Like we all, we are what we experience. Yeah. And, yeah. um, I'm very fortunate as we kind of go into this next, again, a good, good father kind of, um, one thing I do remember good about Bob, you said about the singing, it goes along with that <laughs> is I did get up on stage yes. at three years old and sing boot scoot and boogie and achy breaky heart and achy breaky heart at the bar. At the bar, bro. <laughs> At three years old. <laughs> At three years so old. I but could, you nailed it. I did nail it. You nailed it. You nailed it. Yep. I mean, I, what mom? <laughs> you just fostered those gifts. You didn't even know it yet. You know, I, I, I really didn't know it, did I? I didn't know anything, I don't think. But, yeah, you straight up took, um, you you sung Achy Breaky Heart and Boot Scoot and Boogie in a bar in Lake City, Florida, at three years old, perfectly. Yeah. And all the drunks, all the drunks, including myself, all the drunks got out and did all the line dances while you sung. <laughs> That's awesome. No, wait. My bad. It was not Achy Breaky Heart. You did sing that a lot, but that particular day was, I think I have a drinking pro- a thinking problem. Oh, a thinking problem. Yes, I yeah. admit yeah. I think I have a thinking problem. That's funny. That's hilarious, actually. Yeah. Could good, be wrong again. Good times. I'm not wrong often. Great oldies. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> so, kind of in this separation, um, that was, I appreciate 
your vulnerability in that everybody that, you know, that I want to have on this podcast, um, and it's in our kind of bio for the growth experience is that there's connection and vulnerability. And so even though you might not know me, you might not know my mom, uh, Jennifer, um, as we tell these chapters of our story, it should allow you to connect. And the purpose of that is so that, you know, whether you've experienced this or not, you can take this with you. And if you have experienced, it gives you the courage to talk to somebody else about it. Um, and that's, you know, I've always kind of tried to dive in on, excuse me, when people have this platform, they say, I have this platform because I just want to help people. Right. And I'm like, okay, but what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and really it's about influence, connection, vulnerability, and courage. Um, so that it allows, it just encourages you and gives you the courage to go speak to somebody about your experience because you don't get here Right. Without right. talking about it, right? Speaking right. about it, getting it out of just in here. Yeah. Um, and so that's really the purpose behind that. This is a long one, uh, but it's it's so, so good. So that was all really just kind of the meat mm-hmm. of, you know, your testimony. And now we're going to add the potatoes, right? So let me end with the meat. And then we'll go to dessert. <laughs> uh, skip the starches. Give me the dessert. The starch too, but car- it's all carbs. Give me some French. It's all carbs. It's Don't all care. carbs. Don't care. So my sister-in-law that started trafficking me, getting me hooked on crack cocaine, saved my life. Hmm. It saved my life because Bob was beating me so badly. Mm-hmm. It was my destiny to die at his fist. Mm -hmm. I remember one time he wouldn't get, I finally fried the chicken. He wouldn't get out of bed to eat it. I flipped a king size bed on top of him. He was asleep in the bed. I took it. I I don't even know where the strength came from. At at like 95 pounds, maybe. At 95 pounds, (laughs) I promise. I am not 95 pounds now, but I am okay. But at 95 pounds then, I took that bed and I flipped it on him and said, get up and eat the chicken. And that's probably one of the times that you saw him beat me to a pulp because I knew as soon as I flipped that bed, I was in trouble, Right. but I couldn't stop myself. So I've been dealing with anger issues my whole life, and that was definitely one of those times. So I... um that bed and I knew I better haul butt to the door because I was about to get beat mm-hmm. but he beat me to the door he was faster than me mm-hmm. so he did he beat me to a pulp but the man ate his chicken <laughs> <laughs> hey man loves chicken okay <laughs> he loved his chicken weirdo but anyway so all of that just led to the crack and the yes to being trafficked, and the yes to abusing you, and the yes to um, staying out all night multiple times. I missed meeting Reba McIntyre face-to-face. So, Reba, if you're listening to this, you owe me, girl. I took one for the team. I relapsed on the night I was supposed to meet you, and um, and I didn't get to, but I love you to this day. So, um, all the things that led me up to 
finally getting divorced from Bob mm-hmm. um, because he had the excuse to now divorce me. Mm-hmm. I'm having multiple affairs because I'm being trafficked. Mm-hmm. They weren't affairs at all. Right. But I'm being trafficked. I'm having sex with multiple people, smoking crack, staying gone days at a time. And that got me out of that marriage. Mm. He divorced me. Went the next eight years of life homeless on the streets of Gainesville, Florida. And Newberry. And we were separated at this time. We so were that, separated. That's when your you know, dad took you. Yeah, my dad took me at four years old. Yes. Um, we moved to Micanopy, Florida, um, lived there for a few years and then moved to Kentucky. But yeah, at age four is when you and I were separated. Let me see. Where's, I don't think, can you can, zoom in here? Oh my gosh. What are we doing here? Uh, don't zoom in. We'll, we will put this on the video. This is the last time, the last picture at four years old. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Man, I was a look at that cute little kid look at right that there. Mama, though, what? Yeah, I can't. That mama, know, that's that's a mama. Speak right on that, but <laughs> actually, it's funny. Fire. Oh wow! Now that you say that, yeah. huh? So yeah, I used to show. Man, okay, this some parts are coming back. So when we were separated and I was in school, you asked me, you know, hey, years later, obviously, like, what was the hardest part about me being absent from your life from age four to eleven or twelve? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the one instance that I remembered, so I had that picture for some, some wow. reason. I don't know. I, I don't know how I got it. Um, but I, I told people, um, or I told, told you that when I first moved to Kentucky, I was in the third grade, we were doing mother's day cards Yes. and I didn't know where you were or if you were alive um, and that was really my hardest memory of being separated directly. I've been able to cope again myself, probably unhealthily, but within myself, um, my entire childhood. But I remember now that you showed me that picture, I used to show people what you looked like. Wow. And even in elementary school, they'd be like, Oh, that's your mama. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, shut up, man. We're about to get, <laughs> hey, man. Get hey, a, man. <laughs> bro, we're about to get in a fight on the playground <laughs> at recess over over my mama's photo. So that's funny. Yeah, that, I, that just brought me that memory. So that's funny. Um, that is the last picture that we took together. And obviously, back in the day, this is you know thirty years ago. Um, we didn't have selfies. We didn't have phones in our hand all the time to take 9,000 pictures a day. Right. Um, they were intentional. And that was an intentional picture. I was actually sober. I got, I mean, I say sober. I was probably still smoking weed, probably still drinking. I just wasn't smoking crack. So, but that was sober enough. And, um, because you go in and out of sobriety until it clicks, let it click, it'll click, let it click, let it click. Even the Bible says the righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up. There is no eighth. 
let like get up, get up, you can do this. So it was intentional. It was a moment of sobriety. We take this picture. I relapsed. I was probably in drug court, to be honest. Mm. Um, no, couldn't have been. I don't know. Anyway. Ah, ding, ding, ding. Sorry. We'll go back to that one. But um, so all that to say this. Um, that is the last time that we genuinely spent any time together except drug court. Mm-hmm. Because that was in 99. So it was nine years. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, it was a brief encounter. It wasn't any, uh, there wasn't any foundation to that. There wasn't any relationship to that because I relapsed immediately all the time. I would go to jail. I would get jailhouse religion. I would do a program. Oh my gosh, the programs, the 12 steps, the this, the that, the everything for eight solid years. Um, arrest after arrest after arrest. I have a whole folder on my iPhone of just mugshots. And we can share those um, in the video aspect as well. Mm -hmm. So just incredible amounts of opportunity, but no Jesus. Right. No Jesus whatsoever. No son, no nothing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So talk about the, um, you know, when we got reconnected, I remember the drug court thing. Maybe you and I will have to investigate that or just kind of think about it a little bit. Um, but when you called the, you know, and you say I picked up the phone yeah. years later when I was in Kentucky. And after not hearing your voice for several years, I just immediately knew who you were. Yes. And um, it was at that point. And one of the things I always say as well, uh, give my dad a little bit more credit. He was my hero. Yes. Um, he never spoke poorly of you. And so... That, Say that again for the listeners. Well, he just never... not Honestly, we'd never even talked about you, yeah. right? So there wasn't... And that was probably his coping mechanism. Um, so there wasn't an opportunity for him to speak negatively about you. Because words matter. Mm -hmm. What you say to people, I mean, that's part of your environment. Um, that's one of the things where, you know, I'm talking about disciplining my children, like I'm not hitting them, but there are times where I say something and I'm like, Ooh, I know that affected them. Yeah. Right. So had he, for those eight years, poisoned me against you with his words, you know, it, this, not to say this wouldn't have happened, but it could have taken even longer. Yeah. Um, and it might not have happened. Like we, and that's God's provision for Jerry. If that was his coping mechanism, it was also God's boundary in him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing that is so important for people to understand is that boundary. I also think it's important for people to understand the damage that we do because I'm the opposite. I was always the opposite of Jerry. I'm going to fight and I'm going to win and I'm going to tear you down with my words and hurt you to the very core of your being Pre-Christ. Mm -hmm. Pre-Christ. Because that's that was my environment, like you said. That was my foundation in life. Right. That was what happened 
I watched my mom and my dad. I watched my siblings. I've watched everybody in society. Like you tear down with words. You must win the fight. Mm -hmm. Fighting is proof that there's a problem, but there's a solution and it doesn't have to be at the helm of your children. Your children don't have to be the victims in this. And I have nothing but mad respect for Jerry. who He never tore me down to me when he had opportunity. Mm. When we would fight, he would never tear me down. That was like foreign. Yeah, It was so foreign. I would push him and push him because I needed to fight. Mm-hmm. I needed that abuse because it's, it was familiar. Mm-hmm. And so never, there was a comfortability factor in the abuse. Oh, if if you didn't abuse me, what's wrong with you? Yeah. This this isn't normal. Right. And I didn't know how to handle not normal. Sure. I needed normal. I needed familiar spirits. Um so uh, when when you answered that phone that day and I said like we recognize each other's voice, mm-hmm. right? My mom gave me the okay, phone yeah, number. I got you. Yep. I remember now. Yep. You answered the phone. You said, hello. And I said, Christopher? And you said, oh, mommy? Mm-hmm. And see, that brings, that hits me. I remember that moment. Yeah. Um, we remember, sometimes it's hard to remember moments because they're not tied to an emotion. And so when those memories are tied to an emotion, that's where we get emotional. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely one that that hits me as I <clears throat> manly choke back my tears, you know. Can't be doing all that up in here, but, um, but yeah, that's uh, – I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. But I knew through those eight years how much you hated me, how much you didn't want me because of me abandoning you. Me walking out of your life, never playing a role, never sending a birthday card, a birthday present, Christmas, nothing. Nothing. You had every reason to hate me, but the excitement in your voice when you heard mine, um, yeah, there is an emotion tied to that. Mm-hmm. Jerry grabbed the phone quickly. Jennifer! <laughs> I was like, hello! He was, I remember him standing right there. Uh, I don't remember if he... Hello, Jennifer. Hello, Jerry. Grab the phone. And, uh, That's funny. Because he had moved you to Kentucky, and I didn't know that. We were from Florida. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that you had been in Kentucky for years. Go Gators. Go Gators. And um, so we uh, we had a conversation. He had moved you there because he got tired of me bouncing in and out of your early life, and he just wanted to raise you with family. So mm-hmm. he did. But he allowed you back into my life. Mm-hmm. And that was our healing journey. Yeah. That was our healing journey. That's when That's it, started, it started. For sure. Yeah. And he would bring me down, you know, the very first time. One of the things, uh, as, as we had just passed Christmas, um, I didn't have a lot of awesome Christmases growing up. So one of the things, you know, I remember one of our first memories together was I really wanted the PlayStation 2 yeah. that, had, that had just come out. And I was like, man, we broke. Like, ain't your mama's not standing on street corners well, anymore. <laughs> well, dad, you know, I knew he was working hard too. And I, I was like, yeah. I never even asked for that kind of stuff because I just knew. Like, I, we'd be driving down the road and I'd be like, oh, look at that car. And he'd be like, shut up. You, you ain't, you know, 
It's like, it was so country. Yeah. Now, if it had been a truck, that had been a different yeah, story. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but I knew not to ask for, uh, you know, expensive things pretty early on in my life. And, um, mm. man, that Christmas, he brought me down to Florida, and you guys pulled it together and, and got me a PlayStation 2 and, and a massive Pikachu thing, yes. um, which I was big into the Pokemon. So uh, I have the picture of you with that Pikachu still. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you do. Oh, it's it's delightful. You we have, can share it, too, if you You like. have several photos. <laughs> <laughs> she takes lots of pictures. I've always taken lots of pictures. Yeah, that's so true. the fact that we can have iPhones and I can do it all day now is just that's, straight from Jesus. It's perfect for you. New addiction. Oh, that's your goodness. new addiction. That's my new addiction. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was um, a really special moment for me. Um, and I felt like then uh, we just didn't skip a beat. Yeah. You know, it was got right back to where we were when I was little. Um, all the good memories. That, and that kind of what I mean. Like, God protected me from the even the poison I could have put against you on my own, mm-hmm. let alone what Dad would have said. Mm-hmm. Um, I just never focused on the negative. And I still, you know, to this day, even when we're I'm experiencing stuff that's difficult, I've talked to several people, and it's um, – you know, like, how do you do this? How'd you get through that? What do you do? And for me, uh, you know, I'll have, I'll have little seasons, you know, I'll call you or call Kelsey or talk to Kelsey and I'll just be like, man, I don't know, you know, whatever. But for me, I've never dwelled upon just the negative experiences because, you know, when I was little, each day, each morning, and, you know, it said this, says this in scripture, his uh, strength is renewed. or his graces are renewed each morning, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, my mornings presented a new opportunity for hope for that day, um, Mm -hmm. even as a kid. So anyways, um, all right. I want to touch on something that you just said there, son. Um, Because there are so many families that will hear this that will say, that's not my story. Mm Mm-hmm. My dad talked bad about my mom or my mom talked bad right, about my dad. Right. So how how do I process that? How do I heal from that? And I think you said, I mean, Jesus is our foundation, period. Right. He's he is the answer, period. But the resource from the source is don't dwell on the negative. Right. You take the Bible says in Second Corinthians ten that you take captive over every negative thought, over every argument. Yes. So you cast it down out of obedience to Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And and in a I want to speak into that too. So one of the things I say all the time is you can't control what you think, but you can control what you say. Yes. So you know, take captive over those thoughts. They are going to come. Yes, they are. And they sometimes come hot and heavy. And you can't control that. Um, but one of the things that I've, you know, and I listen to like Russell Wilson's podcast and, you know, um, rest in peace, Trevor Moad, who is a, a mentor to, to Russell. But he talks about this idea. You know, if you're not reading this book, you should be. But if he talks about this idea of neutral thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you uh, it takes what it takes is the is the title of the book. Get the book. Um but he talks about even if when you think something because you're going to, just don't say it out loud. And mm-hmm. so that's one of the things that I think uh, can really help people with that yeah. is yeah. 
Uh, and, and then if you do hear that, that produces a thought inside of your head, right? So now you take captive over that thought and you don't regurgitate what that person said to you. And a spin off of that, you're not going to do it perfectly. You are still going to say things that you regret. Right. But there's this thing called repentance, and that's tremendous, and we can get into that in a little bit. But if we could all do it 100% perfectly, we wouldn't even have the issue anyway. Right. So don't beat yourself up again dwelling on the negative. Uh, pick yourself up. Right. Move on. Apologize. That, that, that. 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 Yeah. Talk more. That. That. You have Apologize. audibly come out and say, that's one of the things I do to my kids. Yes. Uh, which I think is so yes. important. Like, you know, if, if I were to yell at one of my kids, um, parents, we suck at this, man. Like, <laughs> you got to have humility as a parent. And that's what you do so well now that has helped me model that for my children of coming back and saying, Hey, it's not okay that I just yelled at you. I am sorry. Right. I'm sorry. I apologize. I, I'm going to try harder to not do that again. You know, son, when you were 14 years old and you uh, gave your heart completely to the Lord and you got baptized um, at first assembly of God in Gainesville, Shout out Pastor Mike. Well, whoop. Hey, Pastor Mike. Love you. Um, so um, it started then. Well, it started, I stepped back into your life when you were 12. Mm -hmm. And um, and the Lord just did a, a miraculous work with reuniting us, repairing our relationship. Even mine and Jerry's. Jerry was just always so kind to me, um, understanding and uh, but protecting you in the process obviously mm -hmm. so from 12 to 14 we have two years there and we would see each other we would visit each other but then jerry sent you to florida on your own yeah yeah uh, for the first time and i remember sitting in a mobile home <laughs> yep. on 10 acres um uh when i lived out on sally and stephen's property um you you got there and you looked at me and you said Mom, like what happened? Mm -hmm. For the first time in your life, you needed to know the truth. Mm -hmm. And this is a shout out to all the families who need to tell the truth. Right. Quit sugarcoating life because the enemy is not sugarcoating it. He's not sugarcoating it at all. And you do have memories and you do have those things that you can put aha moments to. Mm -hmm. Um. But you said, Mom, just what happened? Mm -hmm. And I knew in that moment that I needed to tell you the truth and nothing but the truth and the whole truth and the truth, which ended in the truth. Mm -hmm. um, that the enemy did have um, his way in my life, but God turned that around for his glory. And um, so I told you everything. I don't really know how to sugarcoat much. Um, I have like I call it the gift of transparency, and the Lord told me if I'm always telling the truth, that more people would come to Him, um, covered in less shame and less guilt. Right. And that matters to me. So I told you the whole truth, and you decided to give your life fully in at that moment, 
Now, not that you didn't walk down some different roads and different struggles and stuff through your teenage and college years, but in that moment, you said yes to Jesus Mm -hmm. and you got baptized. I still have your baptism certificate, by the way. I know. Um, (laughs) Keep everything. I do keep it all. We've talked about this already. Yes, 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 yes. Because I lost so much. Yeah. I lost so much from living homeless, living in um, dumpsters, eating out of garbage cans, sleeping on benches, sleeping on grounds, sleeping with 4,000 people just to have a bed under my body, let alone a roof over my head. Like all the things I've lost... Um, so now I keep things that just, I know matter to me Sure. and that commitment to Jesus matters. Yep. So, um, I don't know where I was going with that. That's okay. That was okay. good. That was good. good. Amen. You were guided right there. Amen. So that was, that was good. Jesus, you're good at that. Uh, it's funny. One of the things I did want to talk about today and, um, we, you know, that baptism at 14 years old, Ooh. really at that point, all I needed was, um, the truth, right? And and I had the courage to ask. Yeah. Um, and you gave it yes, to me. Yes, that's good, son. Yeah. And so, you know, you told me all the things that you experienced. And again, like I said, you know, I was then able to put the pieces together for myself yeah. about, okay, I remember this when I was a kid. Um, and I had never talked about that with anybody. Right. Uh, you know, the, the struggles that I went through at three, two, three, four years old. Right. Um, but one of the things that helped me kind of transform my mind in that was the truth from you. But then also everywhere I walked around the house, uh, your house, uh, when I came to visit you was Philippians 4.13. And I was like, I'm going to get emotional. Uh, Man, you really can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Because I've seen it, and I've experienced it, and I'm living it now, right? So we had this, we have this opportunity to, um, to live the rest of our lives together with that behind us, but never forget, and and so we can build on that, and that's why we're able to to do what we're doing now. Um, if you're going to read something, go ahead. And then I've got a couple more thoughts. We're just letting it breathe right now. So, and I hear preachers say this all the time, and it's kind of like one of my pet peeves because I guess I've experienced what Paul experienced yeah. in the scriptures. Yeah, that's where I was going. Is that... Yeah, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That is a very meaty meat. Like, that is a foundational scripture Mm -hmm. for everyone. Right. And some of us who have been through a little bit more in some areas of life doesn't mean that you haven't been through a lot either. It just looks different. Yep. You really can... Do everything through Christ who strengthens you. And I hear people say all the time, yeah, but people don't get the whole part of that scripture. Yes, we do. Yeah. They talk about context a lot. Context matters. We don't live in an easy world. Like the attacks are fiery darts 
coming one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. <laughs> I'm doing um, read through the Bible in a year with Nikki Gumbel right now. And he talks about blessing battle, blessing battle, blessing battle, blessing battle. In that order. Mm-hmm. In that order. You have seasons. It's a season to plant. It's a season to toil. It's a season to laugh. It's a season to cry. Blessing, battle, blessing, battle. Philippians talks about, um, I know how to be abased and I know how to be abound. In all things, I've learned both to fulfill and to be, uh, to be full and to be hungry, to abound and suffer. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. Like I, we know what it's like to be abased and to be abound, mm-hmm. to be with and to be without. Right. We know what that looks like. Yep. We know what it's like to be full and to be hungry. Mm-hmm. There's a balance. Like we know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us because we've been in those situations. Yep. Where we've been with and we've been without. And we've allowed that pain to bring us into a place that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Because let me tell you what, if you can overcome the things that we've been through, both you and I, and then together, and then as individuals, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Right. Period. Yeah. Period. And that matters. No, I love that. So the the real focus... Uh, behind the growth experience podcast is really drawing down into people's gifts. Mm. Those people believing in their gifts. I find a lot of times people don't even actually believe in their gift or their gift is stifled by somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that, you know, that within your gift that you have purpose, Um, that that everybody's created for a purpose. Uh, So I want to kind of jump backwards a little bit of, and we don't have a whole lot of time. We're going to have to do an episode two, I think, of, of this conversation, which I th- thought we might because it's just so good. Um, can you talk about, hit just really quickly your, your Paul experience, mm. um, and then talk, I want you to kind of dive into walking into the church and then if you had people, like immediately the people who, who wrapped you up. Mm-hmm. Okay, Paul experience. What a neat way of putting that. Wow, because it's quite similar. Mm-hmm. So I'm in the middle of trafficking. I'm in the middle of homelessness. I'm in the middle of a $1,000 a day crack cocaine habit. And this is 20 plus years ago. So today that would be $1,500. You know, so I'm in the middle of uh, just doing unthinkable things. I wasn't always the victim. I victimized as well. Um, back in that day, we were simply prostitutes. We were hookers. We were whores. We weren't sexually trafficked victims. So there was a perspective that I saw against myself as, um, the problem. So I'm, I'm with a man named Mark, who was a very big trafficker of mine, which I called my boyfriend. I was trafficked by Bobby. I've trafficked by Mark. I've been trafficked by so many different people throughout that eight years of homelessness in Gainesville. But it ended with Mark. It ended with Mark Mm. because of Jesus. 
So Mark was beating me to a pulp because I would not perform um, for him. I could not perform for him anymore. Chances are it was my fifth or sixth person for the day. I'm done. I just want to get high. I just want to lose myself in dope. I just need you to leave me alone. Leave me alone. The problem with that is I didn't have any dope. Mark did. But I was finally to a point where I just couldn't perform sex anymore for dope. Not on that day at least. The next day could have been different. But on that day I was done. He was beating me. I ran from him. I ran into a closet that had a locked door on it from the inside out. <clears throat> I locked that door. He's beating on the door. Come out or I'm going to kill you. Well, that was kind of reversed in my mind. If I come out, I know you are going to kill me. You've tried to kill me before. I had no reason to doubt that I was going to die at the hands of this man. So... I'm, I'm crying out to a God that I had learned in jail. I had learned in 12 steps. I'd learned in programs. I'm crying out to what's seemingly a false God. Like, my God. You ever been there? Like, just my God. My God. If you are real, please. Mm -hmm. um, I did that. And the one true God out of Deuteronomy 6 answered me. And he said, finally, Jennifer, I am here and I can do something with you. That's my Paul experience. Mm -hmm. That's my road to Damascus. That's my vision. That's my audible voice of the living God inside of me. I heard his voice. And I had severe schizophrenia and paranoia because of all the dope. in the two years, two decades, I mean, two decades of years of drug addiction and alcoholism. I've heard plenty of voices. Mm -hmm. But I heard this audible voice in that closet, and I knew it was different. I knew there was something that was um, peaceful about it. Like, this is going to be okay now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be okay now. So that's my Paul experience, my road to Damascus. I had three felony warrants for my arrest. Um, I ran from cops all the time. They always caught me. Uh, uh, can't outrun radios. I found, <laughs> you know, there she goes. Um, never was very athletic anyway. So. So I didn't uh, get it from you then. You get it from me. Baby. You get it. You get no, it. I You're, said I didn't. Okay. Let's clear the record. <laughs> Your I'm, love for athletics. Your love for athletics you get from me. Go Gators. But um, I walk into a church. About two weeks after that closet experience. I walk into 12-step meetings but I knew that there was more. They do so much good for so many people. And if that's you, praise God. They helped me. But it wasn't my final answer. Mm. I walked into a church about two weeks in with felony warrants for my arrest still. And, um, and I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time. And I heard, you might not believe in this man called Jesus. And you might not believe that he can that he died for your sins. But what you might can believe is that you've been living this certain way. And through him, you don't have to live that way anymore. Mm. Boom. There it is. That's the good news. Right. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is I'm looking for a different way to live. And he's the answer. That he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. Oh, dear God. You. It was the most liberating feeling 
beyond the phone call of reuniting you and me, beyond any feeling I'd ever felt in my life, aha. Mm -hmm. Now, I met him in that closet, mm -hmm. but I totally surrendered. That was November 5th of 2001. Mm. I, I totally surrendered January 27th. Mm -hmm. In between that, I did turn myself in. And uh, Judge Crenshaw, God love her, uh, she's like, oh, my goodness, Jennifer, when are you going to stop coming to jail? I said, this is my last time. <laughs> I promise. This is it. This is it. Like, you'd never heard that before. And mm. I said, no, I'm a different person today. And she let me out on a $20,000 bond. I didn't have any money, but I bonded out because I knew all the bondsmen's in town. And, um, and I stepped right back into the church. A group of women, Aaron and Pam and Sandy and Susan, and Sally, and Jan. They took me under their wings. Mm -hmm. And they nurtured me, and loved me, and mentored me, and corrected me when I needed corrected. I remember Mark um, died, and I laughed about No, he hadn't died at that point. I told him to go to hell. Mm -hmm. And I was boasting about that to Aaron. And Aaron said, oh, Jennifer, you need to repent. Mm. You don't ever wish anyone to hell. We're all created in the image of God. And that started this journey of being able to forgive people. See, when I was on the streets also, and I didn't get to this place, when I was on the streets, that uncle that molested me at seven used to purchase me mm. at 27. Wow. He became one of my regular customers under my pimp, Bobby. Mm -hmm. Like it was bizarre. Right. So Aaron correcting me, got me on this journey of forgiveness, which in turn was able to open the door for the Holy Spirit to speak to me so I could forgive my uncle. Mm -hmm. And I actually led my uncle to Jesus Christ. Yeah. I forgave him. I prayed with him. And now he's in heaven and I can rejoice over that. I never became his friend. He wasn't my favorite uncle anymore. But he's now my brother in Christ, and I can be absolutely okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. It's my little brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what that's about. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, that's a, we are definitely going to have to do a, another episode because we haven't even scratched the surface of oh. what I wanted to get into. But um, I know that this is going to help somebody. And that's what matters. Yeah. Um, I mean, even, you know, just one person. Um, so I am going to wrap up with this. Um, <clears throat> I am thankful that you found God in the closet. Um, I'm thankful that you said yes to the calling on your life. Uh, and I'm thankful that you made a phone call to, at that point, Crestwood, Kentucky, yeah. um, for us to be reunited. And that you've continuously, since 12 years old, um, speak, continued to speak into my life about, you know, us doing this together and, and so much more. So um, thank you for coming here you didn't have much of a choice um i, I said that it was definitely going to happen and so i'm just so appreciative that 
you know, you made the time to come here and um, film this episode, episode number one, the foundation of the Growth Experience Podcast. Son, not a day went by, not a day. And I can speak for every stuck mother out there. Not a day went by that I didn't think about my son. Yeah. My son, whom I birthed, nurtured, loved, but I was stuck. And I'm so glad that God said yes to me Mm -hmm. and that he also said yes to you. Mm -hmm. I love you. I love you too. Very much. Appreciate you. You're my favorite. I know. (laughs) You hear that, Tristan and Shelby? (laughs) Just kidding. We love them too. They'll tell you they already know, but I love them equally as well. Yep. Yep. All righty. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in, listening. Uh, this is episode one, so we have a long way to go. I'm super excited about the direction of the podcast. And uh, what I'm going to say at the end of every episode, you have a gift. It's time to grow in it.